I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. Bam, bada, bam, 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 bada, bam, 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 Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully, and in honor of the upcoming release of No Time to Die, the next James Bond movie of which I don't particularly love the title, but uh, that's fine. That's fine. I'm so excited about it, and so I have gone back and watched literally every James Bond movie, um, with the exception of the Peter Sellers Casino Royale, but I do plan to watch that at some point, and we are going to be talking about all of them. We're going to be talking about the series on the whole and all of that. So welcome to the show. I like to movie movie. Of course, you can find us at movie movie cast on all of the things. We are part of the movie John podcast network, and it's taking everything in my power to stop referring to the show in the form of a we. It's just me. So I am part of the Movie Jump Podcast Network. You can find me at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. And of course, you can find links to everything at scullyvision.com. That's got everything that I do. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're doing, I'm recording this on a Friday morning because I was supposed to go see Andrew W.K. last night. Uh, he was coming to the TLA on, well, what was supposed to be today, September 24th. And then there was an email a couple weeks back that was like, ah, it was moved to September 23rd. So I took off today so I could be at the concert last night. And then a few hours before the concert last night, I, I reread the email. Well, not even reread the email. I tweeted how excited I was about the concert. And a uh, friend on Twitter pointed out that he too had tickets to the concert, and it was not pushed forward a night, it was actually pushed back a year, and I checked the email, and sure enough, the concert is next year, so uh, I'm off for no reason today, but it's a high energy morning, I got my cup of coffee, I already did some chores, and we are going to talk about some stuff, but before we get into the fun of the show, uh, we'll get into some news, uh, but first and foremost, I uh, just wanted to... Uh, uh, call attention to an awful thing that has happened. A uh, friend of the show, Eric Christopher Myers, the writer-director of Butterfly Kisses and Roulette, uh, which we've spoken about on the show before. He's been a guest on the show before. Um, it saddens me to report that he's he has passed away. And uh, he's no longer with us. But, uh, man, just like... Definitely a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy. Uh, you know, I loved him, uh, you know, and I speak also for Garrett when I say he was one of our best guests. He was just the coolest guy. Uh, we met him at a screening of Butterfly Kisses at the Philadelphia Unnamed Film Festival a few years back. And as with everybody we met at that festival, um, he was just very generous with his time and with his thoughts. And... One thing you could always count on for Eric is that no matter what you were talking about, be it a found footage movie, be it found footage movies, be it cryptozoology, be it anything, was that he always had something thoughtful to say about it. Um, 
And I, I think you can see it in his movies. Uh, you know, you look at something like, like Butterfly Kisses and like, yeah, it could have been just your standard jump scare found footage movie, but it's actually one of the more thoughtful movies uh, in that genre. And so, yeah, so Eric, uh, just like one of the coolest guys, and it pains me to hear that you're gone, but, you know, we were lucky to have you, and I hope that you found found some peace, and, you know, we'll all catch up with you when we get there. But, um, damn, man, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think I could yell in a loud enough voice that he was a good dude uh, it, it, at such a volume to truly express how good of a dude he was. So, um, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but uh, in lieu of flowers, uh, friends and relatives are invited to make a donation in Eric's name to the Howard County Autism Society. Um, I'll read off the address. It's 9770 Patuxent Woods Drive. That's P-A-T-U-X-E-N-T Woods Drive, Suite 308, Columbia, Maryland, 21046. Uh, or at www.howard-autism.org. So, um, yeah, definitely throw a donation. I will be doing that. I will put up a uh, link on the show notes. So rest in peace, Eric. Uh, you were a real one. And I guess uh, we'll, we'll do one more piece of sad news. Uh, we talked about this in length on Hot Property this week, but... Um, I got to throw some some love here as well. We also lost this week uh, Norm Macdonald, uh, who is, I mean, he's just one of the best comics that ever lived and uh, definitely an influence on my now defunct comedy career. Um, man, just like funny in a way that no one else is, was, or ever will be. I would say he was probably my number two favorite comic behind Carlin, but I think he might have been like funnier than Carlin, you know, joke for joke. So yeah, so R.I.P. Norm. In in honor of Norm, I did watch Dirty Work on the day that the news dropped. And one of the funny things about Dirty Work is that that is a beloved movie. Uh, I love it with all of my heart, but it is fucking awful. That is a terrible, terrible film. Oh my god, it's so poorly done and just like poorly directed. It looks like it was shot on a sitcom studio. It might have been... You know, like, Norm's style of comedy is not one that is uh, conducive to that type of movie, but all of those reasons is exactly why it works as well. So yeah, R.I.P. Norm. Uh, Norm time. Wow. Damn. Okay, let's get into good news. Let's bring this up a little bit. Um, Elvira dropped her biography this week and also is dropping a special on Shudder. I believe it is a full, I think it's like a four or five movie marathon that she'll be hosting. Elvira, who looks exactly the same as she did in her heyday, it is unbelievable the degree to which she has not aged, uh, is back for more. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. And it, and also uh, came out of the closet in her biography. Wild. And, uh, yeah, so she is back, baby, and I will definitely be watching because I grew up with uh, some Elvira, and she is back. There, there's a... Uh, there's a photo on the internet that's circulating. I gotta find it somewhere, but it's a picture of Elvira, not in Elvira drag, just in, El, you know, person mode, with both Pee Wee Herman and Jack White, each in person mode as well. And if I remember correctly, everyone looks happy and lost, so it's probably some dragon. But great photo. Great photo. Um, the only other thing is I gotta say, guys, if you're going on scullyvision.com, and you want to leave deranged comments, 
I have approval and veto power uh, since I run the, the, the site. So, like, the comments that you leave, such as the one on my, my Karen review from nope at AOL.com, uh, which just said, this is, this, I think it was, this is fucking pathetic and so are you. You must understand, I'm not going to approve that comment. At the same time, keep them coming, because I love knowing that a stupid review that I wrote for Karen, which was a dumb movie that I enjoyed, um, I, I, I just feel like, yeah, like, bring it on. Like, I, I, I love the entertainment value of that movie triggering strong reactions in people. It's alright to breathe, you know? Just breathe a little bit, man. Just breathe a little bit. Alright. Should we get into it? I do believe we should get into it. Man. So, James Bond. I grew up with the James Bond movies. Um, I always loved them. I, until I started this rewatch project, was under the impression that I had already seen all of them. And watching slash rewatching them now, it's clear that I had seen most of them, but there was quite a few things that were very brand new to me here, so I'm really, really glad I did it. Uh, I remember as a kid, because I used to just like parrot my dad's opinions before I became a person, um, I, w I was a Sean Connery Bond purist. Uh, he is uh, he's the original Bond, and so therefore it tracked in my beliefs that he was always the best. I edited that statement when Casino Royale came out with Daniel Craig. I don't think there's any denying now that he is the best Bond, um, in my opinion. I'm sure plenty of people agree. But I honestly don't think that there's a bad Bond. But I will say that watching these movies again, it's Sean Connery's Bonds that, for the most part, held up the worst. Um, partially because they're, like, dated in a way that's, like that's, like, you know, cringy, where he's, like, slapping a lady, or multiple times Don's Asian face, which is, like, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a strong choice, uh, but it's played, like, half for humor, but what's weird is, to me, it's offensive not just because it's racist, but it's offensive because there's just no amount of prosthetic makeup that you can put on Sean Connery's football helmet head that's going to make him look like anything that's not Sean Connery, let alone a member of another race. And in the movie, like, people buy it, and he's just like, you know, the strong Scottish guy who's born and raised in Japan. And it's just, it doesn't work. It's, it's like the worst. So... Uh, a lot of the, the Connery ones used... Uh, now, this this sort of fades over time. I think it bled into Roger Moore's era. Uh, there's also weird choices such as car chases where the cars are shot in fast motion. Like, it goes fast motion, so it has that, like, do -do 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 kind of thing. And it is played for laughs as well as for thrills, and it's successful at garnishing neither, partially because it's dated. But, like, the brand of what... Bond is to me is so different from what it originally was and uh so yeah Sean Connery's was a little bit the uh the worst there we're gonna go through them one by one I promise but I'm gonna dump these thoughts on you I also think that some of the the later Bonds that were deemed worse such as Die Another Day or uh Spectre actually fare much better when you've watched all fucking, what, 25 of them or whatever up until then, because there's so much of an expanse of what a Bond movie can be. Um, and it seems to be a franchise that we all have 
we all kind of have opinions on of just you know who's the best bond, who's the worst bond, which ones are good, which ones are bad, uh, what bond should be as moving forward, and um, yeah, it's a uh, it, it seems to carry much less weight in a world where you've watched all twenty something bonds and you've seen the vast expanse of what it could be. You know, like Bond could really probably be played by anyone at this point because no two bonds are the same. There's a set of characteristics that uh that a bond must inhabit, but like and the movies themselves can be different things. Some are tech thrillers, some feel like latter day Mission Impossible movies. Some of them are more quiet, uh, you know, spy stuff and playing cards and things like that. Um, but man, oh man, it is a mixed bag, and there is a huge, huge variety of tone. Um, but if you have a hundred million hours to spare, and and you might these days, I would highly recommend. I would highly recommend watching as many of the Bond movies that you can. Um, and you know what? I think uh, towards the end of the episode, I would like to. I'm going to note this now. I would <laughs> like to talk a little bit about the bonds that I, I want. Like, who could play a bond next? Because there's been a lot of discussion. You know, yourself and all that fun stuff. Um, let's, start, let's start at the beginning. I might have to do this episode in parts. So, the first Bond movie that uh, I watched in this rewatch is also the first Bond movie I had ever seen. It's Dr. No! Uh, so this was 1962. Sean Connery slapping ladies in the face left and right. Directed by Terrence Young. Um, who actually has, like, he, he kind of runs the series for a while. There are some directors that, like, pick up on it for a while. Dr. No, um, I put it into, let's see, let's put it in my, my letterboxed here. When I watched Dr. No this time around, I gave this bad boy three stars, and I'm pretty sure that this was just me being generous because of respect. You know, God, respect. It's, a uh, it's Okay. You know, it's James Bond on the big screen. I'd be very curious to know how many people, like, what are, what are, uh, how many people, like, really read those novels before they came, became a movie? Like, how popular were Ian Fleming's Bond novels before the movies happened? Did that add to the popularity, or were they already there, you know? Is that a Jack Reacher situation, is what I'm asking. My review for Dr. No was, yeah, fashion is nice, but get some parkour. I stand by it. Um, I remember renting this movie, uh, when my cousin came to visit once as kids, and I remember both of us sort of pretending to like it more than we did, and it seems that I'm still doing that, but, uh, you know, Dr. No, it's decent. Next one up was from Russia with Love, another one directed by Terrence Young. Uh, this one, Robert Shaw rolls through, uh, which is pretty nice. And, um, oh yeah, that's the other thing about Dr. No. I, that's one of the books that I did read, and the villain of Dr. No is half black and half Asian, and they play that a lot into the story, and they sort of dissolve that a little bit in the, uh, in Dr. No, but he's got these metal hands! That's, that's really where, where he's got the shit end of the stick. He's got metal hands, and even though they give him strength, he has no grip. He has Dr. No grip. Uh, from Russia with Love, this one was a little bit better. I, I think this one fared, uh... Much better. I'm going to pull up my review here. You know, I tried to do it through uh, through a letterbox, and it's just not going to happen. All right, so from Russia with Love. Another one by Terrence Young. What did I give this? Because this is a while ago now. Another three stars. Nice middle-of-the-road picture. 
The review was a small step up from Dr. No, but still pretty bland. Two movies in, and this series could definitely use an injection of parkour. I stand by it. I definitely stand by the parkour. It occurs to me that pre-Craig, I tend to prefer formulaic bonds. As this project progresses, we'll see if that holds true. That's an interesting thought that I put in there. Um, I do like formulaic bonds, but I also do like when they break from formula. Like, like wh there's so many movies in this series that watching them, your opinions shift as you go through and you start to see them relative to one another. And I also think relative to other blockbusters that came out, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, a uh, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a mixed bag. Um, I don't remember either of these themes being anything, uh, to shake a stick at, but Hey, you love to see Robert Shaw. So the next one up was Goldfinger. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we love Goldfinger. I love Goldfinger. Goldfinger is just a good-ass movie. That's like the first one that I think uh, really starts to understand what factors of Bond work and what factors don't. That's like really where like the Bond girl becomes a thing, where a villain with like an almost fetishistic thing about his plan for global domination was a thing. Uh, when I watched this at the beginning of the project, I gave it four stars. High praise. High praise. I'm going to read the review. It appears this is where the franchise really finds the formula. Ha! Huh, there you go. Uh, we've got the theme, complete with accompanying sexy, surreal visuals. Q coming through with gadgets that are impossibly prescient in their usefulness. Bond pretty much being a rapist, as well as leading into some dated one-liners. Yeah, uh, what's funny is that never goes away. <laughs> so that, that, that part has stuck around. The plot is clear in this one, which can't really be said for the previous entries, which took basic plots and made them needlessly convoluted. Yeah, these are usually pretty, uh, they're kind of all over the place, but, like, they're, it's always clear who's good and bad and why, so it never really matters. Uh, Money Penny is so fucking hot and ready to go, Bond is an idiot for passing that up. That's another thing that is maintained throughout the movies. Uh, 100% of the time, the best Bond girl is Money Penny. And she's always the hottest, and she's always, like, into Bond, and Bond is always just, like, he, he's Ice Queen this time around. But, um, yeah, Money Penny has always been great. Let's see, uh, is Odd Job a, visit, a biblical name? A name assigned to him for doing odd jobs, like murder for Goldfinger? Is it, or is it just a dated piece of this sounds vaguely Asian racism? All I know is that his neck must be, must be tired from wearing that hat all the time. Bond pronounces pussy, as in pussy galore, as pushe. Um, yeah, so, again, Goldfinger's when Pussy Galore shows up. Um, I always think of Ian Austin Powers, Alada Fagina. Um, yeah, like, like, Pussy Galore, that's coming pretty straightforward. That's, there's no, there's little by way of innuendo there. It's just like, oh, your name is literally Pussy. Pussy Galore. Or Pusher. Pussy Galore. Um, yeah, Goldfinger, totally rocked. Uh, that is another one. Oh, no, that's uh, Guy Hamilton. Guy Hamilton jumps on the series for a little bit, too. Um, he does some of my more favorite entries, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, yeah, this one. Go oh, man. Arik Goldfinger. I wonder if the AU at the beginning of Arik, if his name, the spelling is drawn from the periodic table for gold. And you know what? I would like to confirm that periodic table gold au okay i'm on to something guys i am on to something we're gonna get to the bottom of this i don't give a fuck if you're at the top so after goldfinger was thunderball oh man 
Thunderball was always my favorite growing up, uh, and I and I believe that that remained one of my favorites. Although I got to say, the remake of it, Never Say Never Again, I think is the superior version. So this is yeah, Terrence Young did this again. What was my review on Letterboxd? Oh, here you go. This was always my favorite Bond growing up, but watching it now, it occurs to me that I don't think I've ever seen it front to back. A lot seemed unfamiliar, so I'm calling this a first time viewing. Yeah, I got that feeling about a lot of them. That's what I was talking about earlier. <clears throat> this is a lot of movie, perhaps too much, but by the end, when there's a large-scale underwater battle, complete with sharks and the regular cutting of air tubes, the overstuffed nature of it all becomes a window into some sort of maniacal genius. This movie also does that thing where a villain dons drag for some reason or another, but when the film switches from actress to actor in drag, it's crazy obvious, even though it's supposed to be the same person. Just a small little lady at a funeral, but when it's revealed that it's a man in disguise and he must fight Bond, the small lady is suddenly very clearly a large man. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing, like, the Bond movies were, you know, we, we look at the, the Craig Bond movies and think, like, oh man, they're so cool and realistic. That's kind of a new development. They're not always... Like, Bond's always cool. But, like, a lot of these movies are goofy. Uh, I forget the fucking sheriff's name when we get into the Roger Moore ones. It's terrible, but I'm sure it'll be mentioned in my review. Um, yeah, I, I still loved Thunderball. I gave that a nice four stars. Thunderball, now, it's not the longest in the series, but I just noticed now that the running time is two hours and ten minutes. I will say that every single Bond movie, every last one, with the exception of Quantum of Solace, is too long. They're too long. It's too much movie. They're all... I mean, it's awesome. But, like, all of them could lose 10, 15. Now, granted, that's the truth about many movies above two hours, but, you know. I loved me some Thunderball. Let's blast through some more of these. You Only Live Twice. So, You Only Live Twice... Once again, Sean Connery, he is the Bond. This one is directed by Lewis Gilbert. Lewis Gilbert, who did movies like Alfie, but did a lot of stuff uh, within uh, within the Bond series. Uh, he's he's done a bunch of them. Did you do one of, is he one of the Beatles movies, guys? I do not believe so. No. It's someone else. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he did like Alfie, but he ultimately went on to did, do like Moonraker. Uh, a lot of stuff. Stepping out. Man, I don't know any of these fucking movies. Operation Daybreak, I know that. So yeah, it's, uh, this one I, oh man, I don't remember, that's the problem, all these movies start to run together as well. Um, this one I know is notable, oh yeah, this is one definitely where, where Bond does yellow face, because it's supposed to be he's going to Japan, oh man, this shit date is dated so bad, but we do have Donald Pleasance as Blofeld, which is very, very nice. Uh, Donald Pleasance is, you know, we all know him from Halloween and Wake and Fright and things like that, but uh, he's good as a Blofeld. And another thing, while we're on it, that's another beautiful thing about the Bond movies is we're so obsessed with canon and maintaining franchise integrity uh, in giant franchises now. And it's great. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. But there's something refreshing about watching a franchise that does not give a fuck about continuity, down to the point where this huge villain, Blofeld, is just never played by the same actor twice. Uh, you know, Bond is replaced. Uh, his buddy, Felix Felix Leiter, I don't believe he is... I, I think literally, he's never played as the same actor twice. I think that is a literal thing. Um, but you only live twice? Let's see. What did I get? 
my letterbox review of You Only Live Twice. Is that really what this is going to be? Is me reading my letterbox reviews? Because I'm into it. Because no one can stop me, really. What did I give this one? This one was a three and a halfer. I feel like a large portion of these movies are three and a halfers. Um, so my review was, wow, they're using real Asian people this time. And then I said, oh no, they turned Bond Japanese using makeup and face paint and prosthetic eyelids and a wig. Once you move past the uh, dated elements, this is a real fun Bond flick with a killer chopper chase. So yeah, so now I believe the they actually had a Japanese Bond girl. And honestly, I don't even trust that she was Japanese. It's probably just anyone Asian Bond girl. But then they put Bond in yellow face, which is uh, regrettable. Um... I don't remember much about this one, because uh, it was just so long ago. Next up, after You Only Live Twice, was On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I can tell you straight up that this is like top three Bond movie material. This is George Lazenby's first, last, and only Bond. Um, this one is, oh, Peter Hunt directed this one. He does, uh, he seemed to have worked on a lot of Bonds, but he does a few going up as well, I believe. No, he doesn't. Oh my god, no, he doesn't. He just does other movies, like Wild Geese 2. So many questions left un unanswered after Wild Geese 1. Peter R. Hunt. Okay, so on Her Majesty's Secret Service, this one, Telly Savalas, who looks nothing like Donald Pleasance, plays Blofeld. But this is also the one with Diana Rigg as the Bond girl. You know Diana Rigg? Uh, she was, now I'm going to forget her name, from Game of Thrones, but she was also uh, Emma Peel in The Avengers not Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Um, yeah, Telly Savalas, great Bond, a uh, great, great Bond. Can you imagine? No, Telly Savalas as Blofeld, and he's like, I remember him being like a little, little scarier than Pleasance, which is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, they do try to explain his look with plastic surgery, however. They explain that he is, so they are like, What's funny is the Bond movies do try to maintain a little continuity for a while, and then it just scatters completely, and it just does not matter. It's frankly awesome. So yeah, Telly Savalas, he's the plastic surgeried uh, uh, Blofeld, but George Lazenby as Bond. Dude had huge shoes to fill, got the job on a lark. There's a great documentary about it where he tells the story of being Bond and why he gave up. Really highly recommend. Um, I forget what it's called. But actually, I could probably just click his name on IMDb and it'll tell me. He is in... Oh, no, I, I have to go to his himself credits. I love that he's still acting. You gotta love that. It does not say. Whatever. Just Google the, 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 the guy's name, George Lazenby, and documentary, and you will find it. Um, let's see what I gave this one in. Boom. I know I gave it four and a half stars on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, four and a half stars, and let's see what the review says. One of the zaniest, most colorful, and well-directed Bond flicks in existence. Wow, I was making strong claims at the outset of this project. Lazenby is a fantastic 007, made all the more legendary by the fact that the dude made this movie and then walked. While this entry has improved in terms of old-school bigotry... There's still a lot of dated elements that are pretty funny if you choose not to look back in anger. Don't look back in anger. First, Bond pretends to be gay and uses it to get laid. 
Second, there are two instances in which Diana Rigg expresses emotion or sasses a dude, and both times she is hit right in the face. Wild. Great stunt work, shot well, extremely dark ending, which I loved. Yes, that is true. At the end of this movie, uh, it ends on Bond's new lady getting shot to death and then him having like a no moment. But that's the that that. Lazenby walked. Legend. Legend status. Um, yeah, this one was really good. This is the one that had the most like swinging 60s vibe to it. And it did come in just under the clock. 1969. Um, and that is Peter R. Hunt. Was Blofeld in this one? I don't... Oh, yeah, this was... Yeah, okay. So the next one was Diamonds Are Forever. I don't even have to look up my letterbox to tell you. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Ugh to the butts. So this one was Guy Hamilton, who does a bunch of Bonds, but, um... That's wild. They dipped back into him because he did Goldfinger, right? It was we just said, yeah. Wow, they're just bouncing around. But yeah, this was like the return of Sean Connery after um, stepping away with George Lazenby. I don't know why he went away. He just probably ran out of it. Charles Gray plays Blofeld in this. Uh, you might remember Charles Gray as the criminologist from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's just a jump to the left. Um, yeah, uh, th this has one of the better Bond girl names as well. Lana Wood plays Plenty O'Toole. So yes, she... I don't know if it's saying she has Plenty O'Toole, because I feel like the word tool is typically for penis. Um, but, uh, yeah, either way, like, they're not fucking around. I remember Diamonds Are Forever being very uh, beautiful to look at. There's a scene where he rides on the top of an elevator that goes on the exterior of a casino, and it's a really well-done stunt, and it's beautifully done, and there's great car chase leading up to it. But uh, I feel like this movie definitely fucking sucked otherwise. Let's see what I gave it on Letterboxd. Diamonds are forever. Two and a half stars. Yeah, I knew I wasn't the biggest fan of this. The review was, the Vegas car chase is cool, as is the elevator to the top of the hotel, but otherwise, this is a really stupid Bond movie. Gotta love how hard they lean into explaining Blofeld's ever-changing appearance through surgery, while ignoring the fact that Felix Leiter has gone through many much more drastic changes. Oh yeah, and the deaths of the gay hitman duo, what a choice, we're batty as all hell. But yeah, this was my least fave so far. The huge unforgivable sin of this, this movie commits is that Bond himself comes off as a fucking... Dork. <laughs> yeah, dork, Bond, you were a dork in this one. Oh, what what a dork. Also, knowing that that uh Sean Connery is bald the entire time that he's playing Bond, uh until you know, you notice that it's a good hair it you don't notice that it's a good hairpiece, but once you know that he's bald, you do notice that it's a hairpiece. And uh you know, mixed bag, but you gotta love him. You gotta love him. Um wow. And this was for a while that all the Bond movies were on Tubi. And Tubi, which, big fan, uh, but since there's commercials, every two and a half hour Bond movie suddenly became three hours and 15 minutes. And uh, so it was a. Uh, these took a while to get through. Like, I watched this back in June, whereas I watched the second half of the series really just over the last couple of weeks. So after Diamonds Are For. Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, yeah, wait. Which, uh, which Bond song was Nobody Does It Better. Because I think that's one of my favorite Bond songs. Um, this one was created for The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's in the lyrics. 
derp. So after Diamonds Are Forever comes... Live and let die! Bah! Bah! This is another one by Guy Hamilton. This is uh, the first time that we've got Roger Moore coming in. Growing up, I sort of rejected Roger Moore as Bond. I think, once again, I was parroting the opinions of my dad, which are not always the most strongly held opinions, but they are the most strongly broadcast. Roger Moore is a great Bond, and he is responsible for most of what we think of as the archetype of Bond. And it starts in Live and Let Die. And I have I've grown to love Roger Moore's Bond. And honestly, the big criticism that he he has is that he was he was Bond for too long. Um and, and he became old in the role. But I gotta say some of his later entries are some of my favorite Bonds. I don't believe he ever actually wore his age in any poor way. Uh Moore's is a fantastic Bond. And if I remember, Live and Let Die kicks kicks some ass. Uh Jane Seymour is the Bond girl, which is wild. Um, Yafet Kodo is the villain, and he explodes, and it's awesome. Crazy prosthetic thing where his eyes bug out, and, uh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, this is another Guy Hamilton. This does have Sheriff Pepper in it. Sheriff Pepper is a Bond character who shows up for, I believe, two movies, and he's just a zany southern sheriff who can't believe what's going on and is pretty functionally racist. And I I fucking hate him. I hate him so much. It's the worst thing in any Bond ever. I don't like him. But they really lean into him for, like, big laughs that maybe it got the laughs back in the day. Not my, not my flavor. Oh, God damn it. It's so bad. And I'm willing to bet I mention it in my review. So let's see. Live and Let Die, I gave three and a half stars. So another one. So uh, I read a story that Weird Al contacted Paul McCartney about doing a parody of the Live and Let Die theme. Although permission is not required, Yankovic prides himself on obtaining it, and although McCartney was apparently honored by the request and open to being parodied, he declined to offer permission on account of the parody of Live and Let Die being Chicken Pot Pie. As a vegetarian and activist, McCartney did not want to be party to a song about carnivorous eating. Personally, I still sing Chicken Pot Pie whenever I hear Live and Let Die, and I wish that the song existed so I could know the full lyrics. Anywho, this is a fun bond that brought in some horror elements as well as black exploitation, complete with a wicked boat chase. Yafet Koto rocks as the villain, and Jane Seymour is a great Bond girl who has somehow gotten more attractive with every passing year. Maybe that medicine she was peddling as the medicine woman was legit. I think that says it all, people. I liked this one. Um, I'm surprised I didn't mention the sheriff. But uh, I know he's got to come up in these. And I watched this back in June as well. Take a sip of my coffee there. Because it's a breakfast episode. Alright, after live and let die. Man, and that is definitely, without a doubt, one of the better themes. Uh, but I mean, I love Paul McCartney. And this was, I believe, like Wings era. And you gotta love Wings era. So after live and let die comes... The man with the golden gun. I don't remember half the themes, but all of them in my head are just Shirley Bassey saucily saying the title. The man with the golden gun. It is so fun. Another guy, Hamilton. And this one has Christopher Lee as the bad guy. And his weird identifying characteristic, his scar is that he has three nips, which you just gotta love. 
Three fucking nips. Sorry, there was a little pause there. I hope I masked it. I'm so bad at tech. The man with the golden gun, Guy Hamilton. Britt Eklund is the Bond girl, and her name is just Goodnight. Goodnight, Moon. Oh, this is the one with Hervé Villachez, um as Knickknack, which is... And it's, and it's spelled Nick, like Nicholas. Like, his name's Nicholas Knack, and he just also happens to be little. Um... Yeah, there's also, like, a guy named High Fat. Uh, I don't know. This is this is something. I don't remember liking this one very much. Uh, Clifton James is back as Sheriff J.W. Pepper. And what's funny is Clifton James's face on his IMDb picture, I believe he's dressed as this sheriff. This might... Is he, this the only thing he's in? Oh, he's in, like, Cool Hand Luke. Okay, yeah. Okay, he's one of those guys. And he lived to be 96 because of fucking course he did. Um, goddamn. This is a I, I I remember not liking this one. I don't have much to say about it, but let's uh, let's see what my uh, what my <laughs> review was. The Man with the Golden Gun, nineteen seventy four. So we're twelve years into this. Two and a half stars. Uh, row. The weirdest thing about going through the Bond movies has been finding out that a lot of them are kind of crappy. This is one of the crappy ones. More is enjoyable, and Lee makes a great villain, but the film itself is very dated and kind of dumb. Why the shit did they bring back the racist cop from the previous entry? There you go. It's clear that he's supposed to be funny, but his shtick is lame and annoying. A bad guy recognizable only by his third nipple is a bold choice. However, and one I enjoyed. I also dug the solid car chase and the footage of a plane flying low amongst tall islands. Surface level pleasures there unmoved by the man with the gold the man with the golden gun this is the oh this one right here the next one up is the spy the spy who loved me this one doesn't get the shirley bassey treatment because this has the uh carly simon the spy who loved me oh my god what uh nobody does it better holy hell what an amazing song definitely the best so far and and it's it's Marvin Hamlish as well, working with Carly Simon. It's, can it get better than that? I submit that it cannot. This is the first one that introduces a series icon, Jaws, Richard Keel, um, who you may know as the guy who uh, who uh, defended Happy Gilmore in Happy Gilmore. Um, yeah, big-ass dude. Roger Moore's great in this. This is another Lewis Gilbert entry, the guy who went on to do Alfie. Um, this was 1977. They really pumped these out been what six years since the last one we'll do the math when we get there they pumped these out like fucking oh my god like skittles man so crazy so the spy who loved me the spy who shoved me the spy who loved me I type it into my letterbox here and i feel like this is also this one has the most uh parody titles there's the spy who shagged me um, the spy who killed me. Uh, this this format comes up a lot. This one, I gave four and a half stars. I fucking loved this one. So, uh, let's see the review. One of the better Bond movies of my current rewatch project, and mostly because the formula hits that fast five level of just self-aware enough to make it work. The direction, cinematography, is unbelievable, and the opening credits visuals are perhaps the best in the entire series. The theme is undoubtedly the best of the series. I feel like I may have changed my mind at Skyfall, but I don't know. I, I, we'll see. 
This one was nonstop fun and comparatively easy to follow. Most Bond movies require that you just kind of check out and trust that everyone knows what they're doing. I do love that while Bond prefers to use spy techniques and aggressive sexual energy to complete a mission, he's not above getting into a full-on machine guns and grenades fight. The Spy Who Loved Me is certainly one of the superior entries. Um, and I do remember that one like really working for me. And that was back in July I watched that. Kurd Jurgens plays Strongberg, the, the the villain. No good Bond girl names here, but yeah, no, so it goes. You do love some Desmond Llewellyn as Q. So let's see, let's just go right on to the next one. Alright, the next one is, oh yeah, Moonraker. And what's crazy is at the end of... Uh, of uh, the spy who loved me, it does say that James Bond. In the credits, they typically say James Bond will return, or James Bond will return in, and it said James Bond will return in for your eyes only, uh, which he ultimately does, but not before returning first in Moonraker. The reason being, Moonraker in 1979 had space elements, which is right after Star Wars became a bona fide hit, and so it was smart to bring James Bond into space and sort of piggyback off of that. And um, it's it's interesting watching that happen throughout these movies. Like, sharks become more prevalent in the Bonds that happen in the years after Jaws. Uh, the Timothy Dalton Bonds of the 80s are very much American 80s action movies. They have that sort of influence on them. Heck, well, Scarface is essentially one of the villains. Um, you know, in, a, in the... After Batman Begins, we got all the Daniel Craig ones, which are like, you know, stripped down franchise entry sort of thing. Thank you to my buddy Kevin for providing that uh, that description, because that is correct. Um, yeah, even like the Pierce Brosnan ones, they were supposed to be like cool tech thrillers because we were coming up with the, uh, with the internet at that point. Uh, very dated in that regard. But uh, anywho, Moonraker, I do remember enjoying this. This is another Lewis Gilbert. I, uh, Richard Keel is back as Jaws. Um, Lois Childs as Holly Goodhead. Not fucking around. Holly Goodhead. Her name is literally like, let's celebrate at my blowjobs. Oh, Bond. Yeah. A lot of vagina is such a good joke. It really, really is. Um, Hugo Drax is the, is the villain and he is positively delightful. Um, let's see what I gave this one on the letterboxed. I have to keep calling it the letterbox because I'm entering dad age, but I'm not a dad, so I have to do things like that. Uh, Moonraker, I gave this one four stars. Hat praise. I said, the bird does a double take. Okay, you know what? Pause. That is something that tends to happen in these movies, is uh, they do like fun little edits and things like that. Like I said, the fast motion cars uh, and other such delights. In this one, they use like forward and backwards film to make a bird do a double take at something incredulous Bond did. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of those moments, but uh, they are what they are. And there are a lot of why I'm much more forgiving about Bond, uh, the mythos of Bond being shifted as I once was. So the bird does a double take. The access panel requires the Close Encounters Rift to unlock. The bad guy looks exactly as if Peter Dinklage and Ricky Gervais had a child. This whole movie was a blast. I could never be so nonchalant about going to space. Yeah, Bond's pretty chill. He's just like, well, we'll just have to chase him into space, won't we? And then he does, just hoping that he'll he'll come back to Earth. Um, it's a very big Fast 9 moment. 
And yeah, there's an access panel in the space base, the ace of space, the base of space, um, that when you want to unlock the door, you have to play the melody from Close Encounters. And they don't call it that. They don't call out that you're playing the melody, but they do. Uh, that is what it is. secret you probably wouldn't notice unless i called it out because i'm so fucking good at this but on that commercial break i didn't just leave for commercial and then come back i left and then i went to lunch with my friends and then i'm now i'm back so if i didn't say anything you'd be like oh you went on from moonraker to the next one but since i said something now you know and uh because I like to be honest with our listeners. I like to tell the truth. And I like to let you guys know what's been going on in my life. Such as lunch. Guys, I went to the Broad Street Diner for the first time ever. Probably the last time, too. But um, it wasn't bad. You can always trust a diner burger. And a diner burger was what I went with. So the next up in the Bond rewatch is for your, uh, for your eyes only. I think that's how the song goes. I forget. This one is oh, John Glenn, the director, not the astronaut, directed this one. Um, he definitely did a lot of Bonds as well. He went on to do Licenses, License to Kill, Living Daylights, Few to a Kill, Oct. So he's pretty much it for for the next two Bonds. It's going to be a John Glenn movie. Um, I can't remember anything off the top of my head because I watched this so long ago. I do remember that Julian Glover is in it. He played uh, Christatos, or Christatos, I forget. Um, so let's see what I said on my Letterboxd for... Yo, oh, not form your, for your, I'm fat fingering it, for your eyes only. This one was a four star, so this one was a little bit, a little bit higher. Uh, let's see what I said, so this is 1981, I watched this, wow, so big jump, I watched this at the end of August, so there was a lot of time between these. Uh, definitely a higher tier Bond entry, I grew up as a Connery purist, thanks dad, ha, I went over that here, but rewatching the series, I'm finding a new fondness for Roger Moore, who seems to embody most of what we as a culture see Bond as in some total. This entry has some fantastic stunt work, very well edited action sequences, and a truly catchy theme. I am bothered by the fact that if you label a document for your eyes only, it functionally becomes a universally non-exclusive document. It is now for anyone who looks at it. You gotta be specific about whose eyes it's for. Yeah, that was my big takeaway from this, is that the title comes from a scene where I believe M hands Bond a file, and the file is labeled, quite literally, for your eyes only. And, uh, yeah, like, in our, it, what we're supposed to be like is, wow, what an exclusive doc. It's for the eyes of one man, and that man does Bond. But unless it says, for Bond's eyes only, then functionally, that document belongs to anybody who picks it up. It's for their eyes. So, uh, it, it's supposed to be about, you know, exclusivity in the world of espionage, and it's actually just the least exclusive document imaginable, because it's for everybody. Uh, yeah, uh, all right. Next one up is Octopussy. Another Roger Moore entry, another one by John Glenn. Um, this one is the only one I can think of that is actually named after the Bond girl, whose name is, you guessed it, Octopussy, which conjures images of someone with eight vaginas. Um, you could say they have a lot of vagina. 
Uh, I also I want to call out that uh, M also has been played by different people uh, uh, long before it became uh, what the fuck? Why can't I think of her name from Cats? You know, uh, of course, 007, but please remember that cats are not dogs. Um, oh, and Desmond Llewellyn is Q. You have to love him. He's the best. Just an old, old man who's goofy and also kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Grumpy. Like, a little bit grumpy. Octopussy, I remember not really enjoying it involved fake Fabergé eggs and also, like, jewel smuggling and also the end of the world. And as much as I love a villain who's motivated by just lust for diamonds, um, I still can't figure out how the Fabergé egg ties to the larger world, you know, earth-threatening thing. I don't know. But let's see what my review was when I watched it. Octobussy? That's a different one. Yeah, what's the porn title for Octopussy? Cock to Pussy. That's not bad, actually. And it could star Roger a lot more. Not bad. All right, this one. Octopussy, 1983. Three stars. So, you know, whatever. Um, and my review's very short. You could tell I was running out of interest. I said, we've definitely gotten into Moore's later entries here. Because as fun as this can be, and as killer as the plane stunt is, this feels like we're running out of ideas slash steam on this iteration of Bond. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of the uh, franchise fatigue was sitting in, and I need to edit this because I wrote running lot instead of running out. Has anyone who used Letterboxd noticed that, like, for some reason your keyboard is less intuitive when you do it in Letterboxd? Or, is it, or maybe I'm just I'm just losing my faculties in my old, old age. I was at the, the uh, post office earlier today, and there was a guy there who, like, I don't know what was... He was an older guy. And, you know, old people sometimes shake. They got a shake to him. This guy didn't have a shake. He almost had, like, a dance. Um, I say that, like, dance, as if it was cool. It was not cool. I felt horrible for him. But um, it was, it was like, kind of funky. I was like, you know what? If that's the way you're going to do it, that's 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 okay by me, 80-year-old man who didn't bring exact change. Um, yeah, Octopussy was a three stars. I also could... Uh, I could credit a lot of the uh, the reviews that in these later entries to just general series malaise on behalf of the viewer, because I was definitely, definitely, definitely running out of steam. Looking at the poster for Octopussy, um, I don't know why Roger Moore's proportions are what they are, or the, the Bond girl behind him. Um, okay, you know, looking closer, there's even more going on here than I thought. So she's Octopussy because she's got her arms around him and she has more than one arm. So two, four, six. Oh, she has, the, she has eight arms as they wrap around Bond. But Bond, his legs are cartoonishly long. Like very, very, very long. Interesting. So an interesting thing happens here at the end of Octopussy. We are going to step away from the uh, canon, as it were, because... The same year that Octopussy came out, 1983, there was another Bond movie in which Sean Connery returned to the role. Uh, it is in Never Say Never Again. This is the only Bond movie that's not produced by Eon, the Broccoli's company. I love that there's people named Broccoli that made movies. That's just that's just fantastic. It brings me joy knowing that there are real people whose last name is Broccoli. But um, Never Say Never Again is... Uh, 
director Irvin Kershner of RoboCop 2 fame. Oh, and I believe Empire Strikes Back. But, uh, and on Deadly Ground. He directed this one, and he directed it out of canon with Eon. This was not produced by Eon. This was produced by, I want to say, Paramount? Gonna be Paramount? No, it's, uh... Technical specs... Oh, I don't know how to use IMDb. Well, whatever. It was not Eon. Um, but apparently there was some sort of legal dispute where Irvin Kirshner was in talks with being able to do a Bond movie and somehow got the rights to do his own Bond movie out from under the purview of the people who tend to own all of that IP. But one of the catches is he could only do the movie if it was a remake of Thunderball. And that's what Never Say Never Again is. Now, Thunderball is uh, not a... Not not very similar to this movie. They're not very similar, but I guess that they're from the same source material, and that's how they got around that. This was Sean Connery returning as an old man Bond. Um, I liked this one quite a bit. Kim Basinger plays Domino Patachi. She is the uh, Bond girl, Kim Basinger. And, uh, I'm gonna yawn at you. I just don't care. Okay, Max von Sydow plays uh, Blofeld. So that's kind of interesting. Um, let's see... What I gave this one. Now my apps are all screwed up because I had to step out of canon. I'm pretty sure I gave this one four stars. This is a four star. The review. After being relatively underwhelmed in revisiting the earlier Connery Bonds, I figured this non-canon Thunderball remake with an aging 007 would be a whiff. I was wrong. This is a great Bond flick. One of the best. Right on. Yeah, that's a... Uh, this one was a lot of fun. I, I actually, one of the criticisms I've heard of it is that uh, Connery was like kind of sleeping his way through it. And I, I just, uh, I reject that entirely. I, I thought he was fantastic. And uh, you know who shows up to just kind of like fuck around and be a clumsy guy for a while? One Rowan Atkinson. That's right. Mr. Bean. Gotta love Mr. Bean. Um, Never Say Never Again was 1983. And 1983, uh, yeah, this one, I remember this one feeling like kind of Indiana Jonesy, and I wonder if that was sort of a, uh, an influence there. Could be that. Um, let's see, what comes up after this? I have to go back to Octopussy so that I can go ahead in the canon that is in IMDb. Beep, boop, bop. Okay, so this is followed by, uh, and, uh, between the, uh, sorry, between the two bonds, I should uh, note the trivia here that they did try to market this as like competing Bond movies coming out at the same time at the end, towards the end of uh, 1983. And uh, it, it, so like the, they pit them against one another. And if I remember correctly, I believe that Never Say Never came in second. Yeah, here it is. So released in the same year as the rival Warner Brothers, James Bond production Never Say Never Again, which showcased the return of Sir Sean Connery. <laughs> this movie earned, Octopussy earned $187 million, and Never Say Never Again earned $160 million. So, that is, uh, yeah, it looks like Roger Moore won on that front. I think he generally wins overall, if you ask me. Um, oh, look at this little uh, interesting uh, piece of trivia about Octopussy that I'm stumbling across here. It features the first and only diegetic use of the James Bond theme tune. So the snake charmer in Octopussy plays Bond's theme music, and it's the only time in any 007 where James Bond is actually hearing the music as opposed to it being played as part of the film's score. 
and James Bond recognizes the tune. Well, he does recognize it because it ends up being code, so that's a fun little thing. Um, beep, boop, bop. The next one after Never Say Never Again was A View to a Kill, which, let me tell you, A View to a Kill rocks. This is Moore's last movie. Christopher Walken's the bad guy. This has got Grace Jones in it. This is a John Glenn-directed one. Um, Tanya Roberts. Yeah, this was this this one was so much fun, and the final stunt that's on the uh, Golden Gate Bridge is so well done, so intense. Man, I loved everything about this, and this is one where it's like uh, they're chasing a microchip. <coughs> oh, excuse me, and it's uh, yeah, walking is like a Silicon Valley bad guy. Uh, so this was uh, 1985. It wasn't quite. You know the like the internet boom that I would associate Silicon Valley with, but this is around the time that that was happening. Processors, super processors, hyper processors, all that fun stuff. And I gotta say, uh, Roger Moore's Bond does ski a lot, a lot, or he ends up in snowy areas a lot. Watching this, I was reminded a lot of the snow. Uh, we'll call it level, the snow level from Inception. Um, let's see what I gave a view to a kill in my letterboxed. I can't believe we're already in the 80s. So a view to, although I guess I have been going almost an hour. We'll wrap this up quick. Or maybe we won't. I don't give shit. Uh, I gave this one four stars. This is the bond in which everyone says more is out of juice, but that is inaccurate as this is his best entry. I still agree with myself on that. The final action sequence is so well done. That's what I just said. I love that John Glenn approached the end of his tenure as Bond director with a heavy let's throw a dummy out of a plane or off of a cliff energy. That's true. A lot of these later more movies have great dummy work where it's just someone falling off a fucking casino or a mountain or out of a plane or just a dummy getting dropped and like dropped from so high that wind resistance protects it from looking like the rag doll as they often do when you drop them from lower heights. And uh, commendable, insanely commendable. If you've heard this show, you know that there's few things that I like as much as a fully on fire stuntman, and I'm pretty sure an obvious dummy is right up there with it. Yeah, View to a Kill was really good, and you gotta love Grace Jones being a bad guy and then turning into a good guy. I mean, this is a the the fast movies really took a lot from Bond uh, going through this, and and that's that's a smart move. I mean, that's how you do it if you want to keep a franchise going for you know longer than its stars which begs the question if we get to a point where we've just got to like recast the family who steps in for vin diesel because there really can only be one we already tried to do it with the rock and we saw that worked out they're both such bitches about it that they couldn't really handle anything uh let's see yeah even statham couldn't get him in there he had to be a bitch about it although i, I my personal headcanon has statham as le- as like the least of a bitch in all these guys because like Vin Diesel, I've just heard, like, I know people who have worked on his sets and said that he can be a little bitch. I feel like The Rock uh, probably has a bigger ego than he lets on, especially on set, dealing with someone like Vin Diesel. Jason Statham, I feel like it was probably just his people didn't want him looking a certain way to fight. He had nothing to do with it. I don't know. This is just headcanon. We'll see what happens. Uh, After A View to a Kill, we moved into the most 80s entry and one of my all-time favorite Bonds. The Living Daylights, the first of two Timothy Dalton Bonds. And uh, Timothy Dalton does not get mentioned a lot in terms of the great Bonds, 
but I think he is an absolutely phenomenal Bond. I would say, if to use his parlance, that he was absolutely smashing. He's a more passionate Bond. If uh, you know, if the early Bond was like playfully intense, if Lazenby was kind of just like hunky and aloof, if Moore was uh, a little more cold blooded, but also like really married to the puns and like very self amused, uh, Timothy Dalton is more of the passionate one. He's the romantic. He's not just some cold-blooded fuck stud. He he loves. He has romance. He feels passionately about things. And uh, The Living Daylights, uh, once again, John Glenn made this one, brings this into the 80s rather nicely. This felt like a 1980s action movie to me. Um, I believe this one has the uh, minecart race. Now that we're after Temple of Doom, we're getting minecart races. Uh, but this also features one of the first appearances of one Joe Don Baker, uh, who's a bad guy in this movie, but then ultimately becomes a different character who is a good guy in the Brosnan Bonds. Uh, once again, there's no such thing as franchise continuity here. They just go. Bond fucks, he kills, he does stunts, and that's that. And uh, and, and I love it. You, you got to the Oh yeah, Jonathan Reese davies is here, so we definitely post, uh, post uh, uh, Indiana Jones. Excuse me. And so, Living Daylights, let's see what I gave that on my letterboxd. Living Daylights. I know I gave this a high score. This is a, this is a four and a half. Did I say high score? Be prepared. Very short review here. I always thought Bond worked best as a 60s lark, but actually Bond works best as an 80s, 80s actioner. Stand by that. Living Daylights is great. Um, yeah, he's he's a romantic Bond. He's a little... Uh, but he's also like a more cold-blooded killer. Um, he seems more willing to trust in others, but also more hurt by being betrayed by others. And everybody does skydiving stunts. Uh, every Like, every character does a skydiving stunt. The, Living Daylights is just absolutely fucking phenomenal. This is one of the... This, was, this would be in my top five, absolutely for sure. Um... Timothy Dalton's second go-round, License to Kill, is not as good, but is still, like, extremely good. This is the one, I believe, uh, almost has Scarface as a bad guy, because it's about, like, cartels and drug factories in the areas uh, south of America. And, uh, yeah, this has Robert Davi as your villain. You'll want that. Um, really liked Carrie Lowell as Pam Bouvier, our, our Bond girl. Another John Glenn production here, but this has Everett McGill, this has Frank McRae, this has Benicio Del Toro. Uh, he del he only delivers like four lines, but the the lines that he delivers are 100% Benicio Del Toro branded line deliveries. I actually think I have one, I'm going to play it for you, of uh, Benicio Del Toro telling somebody that... Uh, Basically saying, uh, we put your wife on a nice vacation, uh, but doing it in a threatening way, meaning we killed her. Here we go. A nice honeymoon delivered the way that only Benicio Del Toro knows how. 
Um, more movies where Benicio Del Toro is a henchman. I know he's a leading man, and I know that we like to see henchmen promoted to leading men. I would like to see him demoted to henchman, because between License to Kill and uh, Big Top Pee Wee, man, oh man, hell, I'd even call him a henchman in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So, License to Kill, I believe I gave three and a half stars to. See, I watched all these recently, sorry. I remember now. License to Kill, not License to Wed. Three and a half stars. What I said was, shame Dalton only got two, because he and Lazenby are the only two Bonds who didn't get a lame entry. Bond versus versus Robert Davi as Scarface. There's no way to fuck that up. Benicio. Please also note that two cast members went on to be in Mortal Kombat. That is true. The guy who plays Shang Tsung, uh, he is in this movie. And uh, let's see, I forget who she plays. Yeah, he plays a Carrie Hiro... Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, who went on to play Shang Tsung, plays Quang. And then, is it this one? No. I have to find the actress. Because I want to call her out. I want to say her name. But I just cannot find her. There's so many people in every damn Bond movie. Oh yeah, Talisa Soto's in it. Yes, that's who I'm talking about. Talisa Soto's in it. And she goes on to play Katana in... Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So, pretty darn cool. After License to Kill, which was, yeah, it was like a softer version of, I, like, I liked The Living Daylight so much more, but License to Kill was still just, like, killer 80s action movie. Happened to be Bond-flavored. It's good stuff. And then we move into the Pierce Brosnan era up next with the 1995 Goldeneye. And that was, that's a pretty big jump between Bonds. So it's six years, 1989 to 1995. Goldeneye, Goldeneye that people my age recognize mostly as a multiplayer video game, um, which honestly the multiplayer was just something that the, that the developers tacked on at the end of production, and it turned out to be what defined the game so much. I did not have a Nintendo 64. Excuse me, but I did have a PlayStation, so I was able to get the The World Is Not Enough game, which uh, did not have the multiplayer and paled in comparison. But I have a fondness for GoldenEye, and watching this movie it was just amazing seeing the locations from uh, you know the GoldenEye video game and seeing you know, the scientists that you have to minimize scientist casualties and all that fun stuff. This is a big one because Pierce Brosnan was going to play Bond earlier in his career, but I believe had scheduling conflicts with, uh, what was the name of his spy show? It was, uh, and it was like a Bond parody, nonetheless. Oh no, what was his name? And it's so far back. What's funny is I first heard of him in, uh, in Mrs. Doubtfire. He was, that was like the first time I had seen him. Um, he was not the Manions of America. Remington Steel, that's what it is, Remington Steel. And because of that, he was not in uh, the, the ones that ultimately went to Dalton. But he did come back with GoldenEye, and he had a four-movie run, and I think that he uh, he's a pretty solid Bond. I and, and he's like a guy that was like the heir apparent to Bond for a long time, and so when it finally happened, it was really, you know, a lot of fun. But uh, I think he's my least favorite Bond. And what's funny is, it was supposed to be like the hip new Bond, and so hip and new, I was the target audience then, and now I watch it and it's just dated. Although this was, what, 26 years ago, something like that? She, oh, Jiminy Christmas. Wow. Oh, oh God, we're all gonna die. 
But Pierce Brosnan does a good job. I just find his Bond to be a little bit colder than I like. Like, he just seems irritated to be there as opposed to, like, thrilled to be there, which is, to me is an essential part of Bond. But um, that might just be the way that I'm reading him. But you know who is thrilled to be there? Famke Jansen as Xenia Onatop. Say that again. Xenia Onatop as this henchwoman who just, like, straight up gets horny on badness. No matter what it is, someone could just be like, yeah, I'm going to cut your tits off. And she'd be like, yeah, make it hurt real bad. Like, she, like no matter what happens, like, but not even just, like, physical harm. Like, betrayal gets her off. When people are like, I was bad the whole time. She's like, oh, I'm wet. It's the, it's the weirdest thing, and it rocks. But, yeah, this is where Joe Don Baker comes back as Jack Wade. Judy Dench. Why was it? Judy Dench. Why, how do you forget her name? She shows up, and this was actually great because this was the first time where they started to be like, Bond, you might be a misogynist. And she straight up just, 007, you're a misogynist, and I don't like you. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, that was a great update bringing her into it. Uh, Robbie Coltrane, he, he he's like a regular appearance in, in all of these. Uh, Alan Cumming is in it. And I also have to say, this is a... This is a movie with a lot of Russian people, none of whom are played by Russians, and all of whom are played by people who can't do a Russian accent. And I'm not saying I can, but I'm saying you can't. And I love Alan Cumming as much as the next guy. Man, it's... Oh, man, it's... The the accents are just fucking garbage in this. New Money Penny, Samantha Bond, also one of the hotter Money Pennies. I mean, they're all... Money Penny's the best. We love Money Penny. So, Goldeneye, 1995, I was 11... Oh, man, oh, man. That is... Ugh, oh, we're all gonna die. Goldeneye, 1995. I gave... I think I gave this one four stars. Oh, yeah, this is Martin Campbell, who gets two Bonds, but he does two reboots. He did the Pierce Brosnan, and he did Casino Royale with uh, Daniel Craig. Goldeneye, 1995. This was fascinating to revisit because when I first came out, I remember thinking it would be a hip new Bond. My generation's Bond. I was 10 or 11. And it was, but watching it here in 2021, it's very, very clearly almost three decades old. Still totally rocks, though. A little miffed that the version I watched didn't have multiplayer. I'm so fucking cute. Um, The next one is Tomorrow Never Dies, which is the first Bond that I saw in the theater in my whole life. And I remembered really liking this one, and I watched it again and really did like it. Pierce Brosnan back again. Jonathan Price, who's essentially playing Steve Jobs before Steve Jobs became the Steve Jobs that we associate with villainy. And uh, quite literally uh, has like a wall of monitors where he talks to the world leaders, and it's just like, you manipulate the news to make this world leader look like he diddles kids. And you... Uh, world leader, use the use your powers in the church to manipulate people into voting this way. And you know, I create tomorrow's news today. Uh, pure evil, but Michelle Yeoh, she rolls through, which you always want. Gets herself a kick-ass fight scene too. Uh, Ricky Jay is like the henchman, the, the computer henchman to uh, Jonathan Price's bad guy. Uh, this one's a lot of fun. Chevelli shows up. Uh, yeah, I, I liked this one a lot. Uh, I would say that the way that Bond is able to drive his car with the remote control phone makes no sense as in the form of the interface that they use, but who am I to complain at this point? Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies is a lot of fun, and this is directed by Roger Spottiswood. Roger Spottiswood, who did The Sixth Day and 48 Hours and Shoot to Kill. Um, I always think of the puppet named Spottiswood in Team America World Police. 
And um, yeah, I liked this one quite a bit too. I believe I gave it four stars. Let's see. Tomorrow. What a title too. Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, because I'm always coming up with the news of tomorrow, and therefore I never die, or whatever it is. I gave this one three and a half stars. Yeah, it is a little step down from Goldeneye. This is the rare Bond that actually manages to predict the future of real-world villainy. Any movie that can find time for Michelle Yeoh to do a fight scene is a movie worth watching. This movie is red and blue. That movie is red and blue. Deny that. You can't. The first time I saw the next Bond, The World Is Not Enough, uh, I saw this one in high school. You know those like, last couple days of school where the teacher just puts on a movie because no one gives a fuck? My electronics tech teacher, shout out Mr. Allen, cool guy, uh, he put on The World Is Not Enough and he loved it. He was like, this is a good movie. And uh, he was right, it is a good movie. I, I liked this one, but it is like definitely a sillier Bond entry. This is, uh, oh yeah, and it's directed by Michael Apted, who's like, you know, an artsy filmmaker. He did all of those, like, 7 Up, 21 Up, like, whatever they are. He did all of those movies. Um, 63 Up, I don't want to do math. But yeah, like, like a real journeyman director. He does a, did a lot of television, but also, like, a lot of movies. Um, yeah, Nell, yeah, Nell, he did fucking Nell. Um, yeah, there's a Thunderheart, what is that? Never even heard of this, but it's got Val Kilmer and Fred Ward. Get the fuck out of here. Written by John Fusco. Oh, he did Younger Man. Okay. I like going down an IMDb hole, but that's Michael Apted. World is Not Enough is pretty silly. I like Robert Carlyle as a bad guy, although one of the things about Robert Carlyle is he has a bullet that's slowly working its way to the center of his brain, and it's eliminating his senses as it goes on and on. So one of the things about him is that he can't feel anything. He doesn't feel emotions, but he also doesn't feel physical touch. But he's, like, climbing ladders and shit, which I couldn't do without the sense of touch. But, like, he also eats a punch, and, like, it'll look like it pains him, and it, it makes me laugh thinking, like, oh, he doesn't feel the pain, he's just agitated that Bond, you know, made his head whipped to the side real fast either way he doesn't he's like a great villain i mean we, we we love a robert carlisle robbie coltrane's back the big criticism of this movie is the casting of the one of the bond girls uh dr christmas jones uh played by denise richards on the receiving end of one of the better bond one-liners uh i thought christmas only comes once a year <sighs> um Denise Richards is absolutely fucking god-awful in this movie. And so the, the the valid response to that would be a lot of the women in these movies are depicted so vapidly. Why is it suddenly a problem when she does it? And the answer I have for that is I don't know. But there's just something different about her performance that, like, whereas when they, when there's, like, a dippy, you know, just, like, poorly written, but tee-hee, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bond girl... Or, like, the super-duper savvy Bond girl who is kind of clumsy. Like, all that kind of stuff. There, there's, like, a weird playfulness that just isn't there with Denise Richards's. And what's weird is, I think that Denise Richards is a much better actress than we give her credit for. It just doesn't work here. Like, she's just, like, blank slate. But uh, it's still a ton of fun. And, you know, she does the job. One of the things that's, uh, you know, and I actually, I know that what I'm about to say is in my Letterboxd review, so let's just go to The World Is Not Enough. A world is, the world is not enough. Good theme. Very good theme. This one is, uh, wait, who did this one? Was this the garbage one, or was this, I think Tomorrow Never Dies was the Cheryl Crow one. 
Um, wait, we're going to find out right now. Cheryl Crow Bond theme is... She did Tomorrow Never Dies, which I liked. I definitely liked the one. Yes, The World Is Not Enough was the one by Garbage, or at least by uh, Shirley Manson. Is that her name? It is now. Um, the World Is Not Enough, I gave this one three and a half stars. So uh, an upper one. So, so I just watched this one very recently, too. Some excellent action pieces and a great villain performance. Two of them, but I don't want to spoil. Tee-hee. Paid... Uh, page pave over some minor contrivances yeah we're gonna be fixing that and i really gotta edit these things revisiting this i wanted to see if in the shadow of many vapidly depicted bond girls denise richards's performance would fare better it does not there's just something flat about it not sure why either as she's a legitimately talented actress the best part the best here it is the best part is when bond steals q's boat for an action sequence then afterwards q scolds him for having ruined his vacation boat his vacation boat that was outfit with heat seeking missiles but that's that's the thing that's that's also the fun of this is like i like the idea that q could be uh you know, just kind of playing the nines and talking shit when he says that to Bond. I also like the idea that maybe Q needs missiles on vacation. I believe here is where they started trying to facilitate the shift from Desmond Llewellyn to John Cleese as Q. Uh, that makes sense. I like John Cleese. He's an absolute legend, and he does a good job stepping into the shoes of Desmond Llewellyn. But I do believe that I, I, I am ultimately glad that they moved away from him and towards Ben Wishaw, because I think that does fit the next generation of Bond that much better. But we'll get into it after we do the Bond with the worst theme song. You know it. You feel some type of way about it. Die Another Day. This had a Madonna song, and this is when Madonna was like trying to do nightclub stuff. Um... And, and, you know, not to knock Madonna, credit where it's due, like, the, she she did some good shit. That one where she remixed uh, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by ABBA and turned it into uh, every little thing that you say, oh, do I'm hungry. Catchy song. And, you know, all due respect to Madonna. She's fucking Madonna. You know, you don't, you know, you'll step to that. You'll step to that, bro. Die Another Day, 2002, the first post-9-11 Bond. I don't think there really has much of an effect on it. Um... This one is famous for Halle Berry being a Bond girl uh, right after Monsters Ball, where she got an Oscar. And uh, so that was like kind of a fun thing that she jumped from Oscar gold to like, I'm going to do a Bond girl stuff. But hey, good for her. Rosamund Pike as well. Rosamund Pike as well. Um, this We always talk about this like, this is the one with Halle Berry. That's... That's correct, but it's accurate, but it's incorrect. We should be referring to Die Another Day as this is the one with Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen shows up as, I believe, an American uh, higher up who has to work with Bond and his crew to do whatever their fucking mission mission is. This, uh, yeah, this is kind of comes into the real world because there's like a North Korean terrorist, but we're not like where we were, where we are now then. So it's slightly different, you know, to look at. I don't know enough about that kind of shit to have any sort of statement. Pierce Brosnan, I guess he could be accused of being like old in this one. But like I said, to me, he always seemed irritated as Bond. So this doesn't register as anything different. Um, but I think he's fine in it. And I think, you know, everybody's fine in it. Rosamund Pike probably runs away with the movie because... You know, she's just fantastic. We all just didn't quite know it yet. This is the one with the invisible car. 
This is the one where an explosion creates a tidal wave and Bond surfs it while parachuting. There's a lot of things that that, uh, look bad. None so bad as, like, Roger Moore fake skiing down a mountain. Like, it's, like, the same level of that, but that's easy to forgive because it's not, like, all CG and blue screening. It's, like, you know, like a back screen and things like that. That said, after seeing a lot of Bond movies, a lot of silly Roger Moore movies, Die Another Day fares much better. You know, it's not amazing, but it's not like the fucking nightmare that it gets credit uh, for being. I don't think it's the worst Bond, but I think it is amongst the worst Bonds. Um, I also, uh, I, I actually like the title of this one, Die Another Day. There's no real formula as to what makes a Bond title. Sometimes it's named after the Bond girl. Sometimes it's a phrase someone says. Sometimes it's an element of the movie. Sometimes it's just like a weird phrase, like never say never again, uh, which is sort of a reference to Connery saying he'd never play the role again. And then I believe it's like his wife at the time suggested never say never again. And then he smacked her in the mouth. And uh, yeah, like a... like a view to a kill, I don't really know what that means. Maybe it was the Duran Duran lyric first before it became that. They did the themes good theme. Um I think it was them, yeah. Uh yeah, so okay, die another day. What did I give this one? This is a two and a half, right? I don't think any of them get below two and a half. Not the disaster I remember it being, but not very good either. Definitely Brosnan's worst. Also easily worst theme in the franchise by about a f- infinity billion miles. Well there you go. And then we move on to what I would say is the best Bond movie in the entire franchise. Martin Campbell returns as director. Uh, he came from uh, from uh, GoldenEye. Casino Royale. Daniel Craig, who at that point was the guy who everyone while watching Munich went, that guy's going to be the next Bond. Uh, that It was his return. Uh he is my favorite Bond. I think this is probably... I mean, this is definitely his best Bond movie, although I think his best performance is in the next one. Uh, this has the wonderful Eva Green as Vesper Lind. So there is sort of... A, this is the first time that canon starts to come into it. Like, there's a little bit of loose canon ha, amongst amongst the uh, Brosnan ones. Like, each Bond has their own sort of insular canon, but it is also understood that it just goes all the way back to the original Bond. It's sort of like a, a Godzilla thing going on. Um, but this one, I think, is the first one that really did try to serialize the movies in such a way that uh, they're not all just one-offs with loose connection. There is, like, an overarching thing. Um So Casino Royale does have that reboot feel. This is in the shadow, like I said before, of Batman Begins, so we're getting the stripped-down version. Uh, But even though this is sort of a reboot, we have a new Bond, we have a new Felix Leiter, we we witness Bond when he just gets his license to kill granted, Um, we witness him becoming the sexual Lothario that he is through uh, losing someone that he actually loved for the first time. So, like, this is a reboot on the origins of Bond, but we still do keep Judi Dench as M. Uh, This has Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre, the bad guy, uh, one of the top-tier Bond villains as well. I know for a fact that I gave this bad boy five stars, but we'll see what I said about it on my letterbox. Very simple. This is the best Bond movie. And you know what? The Chris Cornell theme song is excellent. I don't care what anyone says. It is really, really excellent. 
But uh, yeah, this is a this is a movie that like was kind of a sea change for the series. It really did change what we know, think, and care about when it comes to Bond. Um, they got rid of the goofiness. Every single Bond has a sense of humor that's like goofy, even through the uh, Brosnan era. This has a knowing wink and a nod, but no room for goofiness. But I think these are also probably the the highest budgeted among them, I'd imagine. They're always the sharpest looking in terms of the cinematography, the thoughtfulness towards stunts, things like that. And I don't know. I, I also just feel like anytime Jeffrey Wright shows up in anything, it just enhances it. The guy's one of the, the like the best on screen presences ever. So when he rolls through as Felix Leiter and Felix Leiter and Felix Leiter is like a cool American guy. Yeah. Yo, dog. You want it. You want it. You need it. You gotta have it. The next Bond movie I was very excited about for multiple reasons. One, because it was the sequel to the best Bond movie. And two, because my favorite musician, Jack White, teamed up with um, Alicia Keys to do the theme. And I love the theme, but when I saw this movie, I was pretty disappointed in it the first time. Uh, the action is shot very poorly. On a shot-to-shot basis, there's some very well-conceived action, but there's so much editing and editing with an ignorance towards the larger geography of the set piece that really makes it hard to watch. And that is enough to make a movie terrible to me. But I was surprised that this time around, whereas that still bothered me all the same, it, it still bothers me all the same. I could see the artistry that was intended, and a lot of it is really good. But this ends up... And, and this, to be fair, was also a victim of the writer's strike. This was in 2008, so there was writer's strike action around the production of this, so they sort of had to just throw together a plot. Ultimately, I think my favorite thing about this movie is the script. The way that Bond is depicted here... It's just a really strong characterization. He's in vengeance mode because of the death of Vesper. He's in doubt mode because he cannot tell the allegiances of the people closest to him. And he's like also in on-the-road recovery mode. Um, he's fucking cold in this. A cold, hard, mean guy. But it really tracks well. And to see daniel craig put that much thoughtfulness into developing this as opposed to just yet another bond adventure it's no the next step step of bond's adventure it's a fucking hell of a performance um like i said some of the action leaves a little to be desired still um but the ideas behind the action and some of the individual shot shots are like propulsive it's it's just the assembly uh, this is directed by mark forster who uh did like finding neverland world war z Oddly enough, Monster's Ball, I just noticed. Interesting. Um, oh, yeah, written by Paul Haggis. A couple other people. I know Neil Purvis, who was on these for a while. Uh, he, he wrote some of it. Yeah, he, like, goes all the way to the end. Um, Judy Dench is back. And Matthew Amalric. I don't know how that's pronounced, but uh, he is a French actor who's in, like, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, also Munich, things like that. Great villain. Slimy little fuck. Oh, piece of shit. Let's see what I gave it. We're coming up on the end here, guys. Thanks for putting up with this long one. You listen to this while you work. I give you permission. Uh, Quantum of Solace. Oh, yeah, and also that, that the Jack White theme is pretty great. Quantum of Solace. Wow, there's so many movies with Quantum in the title. Who'd have thunk? I gave it four stars, and I did not expect that. I was dreading this one. 
The common refrain is that this is the bad one of Craig's tenure, with Spectre just being kind of bland, but this time around it worked really well for me. I like this angry, vengeful Bond. I love how his mental state slash ethical code is mined to explore his relationship to his job, and more specifically to M. Unfortunately, the criticisms of the action stand. While there are a lot of conceptually rich action beats, their execution is often terrible. Fast editing and way too many cuts rob almost every set piece of its geography, which leads to sweeping action that feels small. It's not a good look. Occasionally, the action stuns, but that's ultimately not the goal. The focus here is on character, and it's success. Goddamn, Craig is on fire in this one. I also like that. He is literally on fire at one point, so that's kind of cool, too. I didn't mean that when I wrote this, but I will accept a posthumous pun intended. A belated pun intended. Not posthumous. I'm still alive. Um, I was very excited to revisit the next entry skyfall because i loved this but the only time i ever saw it was at the uh franklin institute imax dome uh people who aren't from philadelphia who haven't been to the imax dome will uh i'll try to describe this to you it is an imax screen but it's on a gigantic dome and like it's both the best and worst movie screen because it's fucking huge like fucking gigantic but because of its shape, there's a lot of screen distortion that you sort of have to program yourself out of. And for movies that are not shot in IMAX, it's not ideal. Um, but it's such a truly awesome, in the literal sense of the word, such an awesome experience that uh, it's worth checking out. So, damn, dude. It's, yeah, I, uh, I love that theater, but I hate it. It's... It's a good place to see a movie that you've seen before, just to get the experience, because the sound is unparalleled. But it's not the best place to see a movie you've never seen before, because there's a lot of distortion, and like you, you have to like work with it a little bit. Um, and so I, I had not seen Skyfall before when I saw it here. And what's funny is, I believe the only reason I saw Skyfall there, if I remember correctly, is because the first... Was it this? No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The reason I saw Ghost Protocol at the Dome was because there was footage from The Dark Knight Rises before it, specifically on that print. Ha. Huh. Okay. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Skyfall, Deacons, Sam Mendes. Yeah, Deacons does DP on it and does bang-up work. The Hong Kong sequences are unbelievable. Um, this is just a good movie. Once again, digs down into the history of Bond. We sort of get, uh, we, we with Casino Royale, we got the origin of him as the Bond we know. But this, we get a little bit of an origin of him as a human being, full stop. And uh, we get to, uh, it's the end of M. Poor M dies. But we get to see Bond's home where he does sort of a, a Home Alone uh, uh, trap fest or a Rambo trap fest uh, to fight the bad guys. But that's really where this movie sings for me is not only is it like a really good, uh, good looking movie. The craft is, is fantastic. Mendez knows what's up, but this is, uh, this is one of my favorite villains. Uh, it's Javier Bardem as an agent who was like left behind by M and therefore he got beef, but, um, he tried to kill himself with a cyanide tablet and it didn't work. It just melted his fucking face. Silva. And he has like an internal prosthetic that he wears in his mouth that gives his face structure. 
and uh, he removes it at one point, and it's such a phenomenal effect. Uh, the action is great in this. Uh, we get our new money penny in Naomi Harris, who's the hottest one of all, and like the savviest too. Like she's not just a secretary; she can like snap your neck. Uh, Ray finds Ralph Fiennes as Gareth Mallory, whose last name they they only hire M's whose names start with M. It's just uh, so you can't call him Mum. Uh, like you do with with uh, with M Dame Judy Dench, but uh, yeah, she is a uh, yeah. And this has Albert Finney in it too. Ben Wishaw as as Q, he's coming in. Rory Kinnear as Tanner is a regular character who who uh, is kind of like an old standby that uh, that uh, shows up in these later Craig entries. Yeah, Skyfall's good. I would say that up there with Nobody Does It Better is one of the best Bond themes for which I believe. Uh, Adele won an Oscar and a deserved one. Skyfall is how it's done. I mean, when when this movie came out, they were like, "Oh, who should do the theme?" That was like the point where like the answer was Adele. It's like, yeah, she's she's the person who does that kind of thing. Um, Thomas Newman. Wait, let's see. I I want to confirm that she won the Oscar because it was deserved. Won two Oscars, uh, original song, Adele and Paul Epworth for Skyfall, and this got Best Achievement in Sound Editing, and you know what? Hell yeah. Deacon's only nominated for Cinematography. Alright, we're about to finish it up. Spectre. Uh, when I saw Spectre for the first time, I liked it, but I was pretty disappointed by it. Partially because it's just, like, kind of goofy. And, uh, oh, wait, I didn't read you my Skyfall review. Skyfall review. Let's see. It's probably not long, which is good, because I'm getting tired. You're getting tired. Work is almost over. I gave this one four stars, so higher tier. And I said, one area where the Craig Bond succeeds most is in developing Bond as a fully fleshed out character, rather than a set of fun characteristics in a tuxedo. I think it mostly works in terms of my connection to the characters, even if the plot material surrounding Bond's history is kind of silly. I agree with that. Often beautiful with great stunts and an excess of cool, and probably the best Bond theme, a tie with Carly Simons, nobody does it better. Skyfall is a classy Bond that takes all the best elements of a post-born action landscape and makes them sing. Casino Royale will likely not ever be beat, but Skyfall is the most organic development of that specific Bond vibe. 100% true. I would like to see when the Born Supremacy came out in relation. So Born Supremacy was 2004. Quantum of Solace was 2008. So yeah, we were in like the Bond era of chop, uh, the Born era of choppy action when Quantum of Solace came out. Man, I I softened up on the Born movies when I revisited them a few years back. But like, and I don't hate Paul Greengrass, but what he brought to action cinema, I I that's unforgivable to me. I hate it. <laughs> unforgivable. So yeah, uh, Spectre. Anyway, uh. Partially because I was like, alright, this is a bit disappointing when I saw it. And also because I saw Spectre, and when I was leaving Spectre, I discovered that there was, like, a uh, Creed event happening in the theater next door. And, like, Stallone was there, and and Michael, Michael B. Jordan was there, and I didn't know about it. So I was, like, super bummed that I was like, oh, man, I could have just walked into that theater. But anyway, in the shadow of the entirety of the Bond series and everything that Bond has been and Bond could be, Spectre, not bad at all. I've got issues with it. Like, where did he get the plane? How can somebody possibly underuse 
uh, Christoph Waltz to the degree that they did. The man was designed in a fucking laboratory to be a Bond villain, and they whiffed it. I like the idea of trying to create Spectre as this organization that is the author of your discontent, or whatever it is, not Winter Discontent, the author of your... I don't care. But there's a lot of great elements. The opening action sequence rocks. Most of the action in this is actually phenomenal. It's got the largest explosion ever commit to film. Um, weird how a huge explosion comes from one little tiny fail point on the base. It's like a Death Star sort of thing. Um, but elements like that lead me to believe that Spectre, like if, if, the, if Craig's tenure leading up to this is like the uh, you know, deconstruction of, of what Bond can be, this is like a deconstruction of the Bond formula, but ultimately is like more formulaic as a result. But it was really a lot of fun. Uh, the first time I watched it, I thought that that Daniel Craig was like sleeping through it. Um, but I actually think he's kind of great in it this this time around. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to like about it. It's it's underwhelming. I do like the idea of tying everything together. Um, I do I do like the theme song, the Sam Smith theme song that they won the Oscar for. Um, and I believe, I believe they won the Oscar for this. Let's see, what is this? What's this say? Uh, yeah, Best Achievement in Music. So, Writings on the World. Writings on the World. Sam Smith and Jimmy Napes. Um, this also introduces a new character played by Leia Seydoux, um, who's just wonderful and also, like, designed in a lab for this type of movie. Um, they're sort of developing her into a new romantic lead, a replacement for Vesper Lind. I don't know if I'm 100% on board with, with how that plays out, but I, I watching this around knowing that's the intention, it plays out better than I remember. Still not all the way there, but I assume No Time to Die will, will get us there. Um, this does have Monica Bellucci, who is just like the best rolling through as, you know, as a Bond girl. So, oh, and also Dave Batista. Also invented in a lab to play the ultimate Bond henchman, and he does an awesome job. There's a knockdown, dragout fist fight on a train between him, Craig, and Sedu that is kind of where the movie peaks for me. Really, really great work. I think this was probably a three and a half star. Spectre. What did I give it? I logged it twice. So, oh, this will be fun. So when I first saw this movie in November of 2015, wow, um, I gave it three stars. And let's see, oh wow, this will be interesting. So what I said was, what I said, so I says to him, I says, the signs of wear and tear are beginning to show on Daniel Craig's Bond, but that's to be expected. This maintains the look of the Craig era of the franchise, but this is closer to the world is not enough in execution. I still agree with that. This is kind of a good thing, as Skyfall was a large departure from even the least Bondy entries, but it's good to be, quote, back, per se, but the mopiness of Craig's Bond is thicker than for my taste and doesn't match the package. Earlier in his tenure as Bond, Craig's 007 seemed to enjoy his job as a womanizing, half-drunk super spy, and this made him enjoyable to watch. Certainly the story of Spectre requires a more brooding Bond, but I don't have to like it. I was so thoughtful back then. The opening sequence is stellar. A long tracking shot leads to an impressive action sequence involving some beautifully shot helicopter acrobatics. Once the plot gets into motion, however, the second act is inert. And for a movie that reaches almost two and a half hours, it feels like wasted time. 
While we should be building tension between Bond and Oberhauser, Christoph Waltz underused, instead they shoehorn in an undercooked romance and a dreadfully staged mountain chase. It's not oppressively bad, but I began to check out. Until an exceptional action sequence on a train kicks off a very Bondy and very exciting third act. The movie soars here, and even though the rivalry between hero and villain is undercooked, Waltz was born for this role and truly revels in it. We hit all the classic Bond tropes, the Hank Scorpio checklist, I'll call it, and the film really finds its stride. After this one, though, I think it's time to take a break. I'll, pro- I'll be providing a piece, a link to a piece about the future of Bond once it's published. And I, I do link to a piece about that, about how I think we should take time off from Bond. I don't agree with that anymore. And what's funny is now I actually think the third act is is where the movie flounders a bit. It's a lot of fun, um, but it's, it definitely, like, like I said, it starts to riff on the formula. Um, okay. But what's wild is it seems that I actually feel somewhat similar, but just seeing it from a different point of view, but, um, let's see what my current review of three and a half stars. So it went up a little bit. Uh, my review from September 21st, 2021. So six years later fares much better after watching the whole fucking franchise. The increased level of contrivance clashes with Craig's portion of the series thus far, but it does not clash with the series on the whole. Once you make peace with that, this is a ton of fun, wonky but exciting third act notwithstanding. I don't mind that random that Bond randomly chased a car with a stolen plane, but I wish I knew how he got the plane and from where. It doesn't really matter, but it definitely feels off when he just runs off screen and returns with a plane. I don't want to be the guy who yells fake at a Bond movie, but for some reason this moment almost had me there. I do appreciate that after spending three movies deconstructing the Bond myth, this one tries to deconstruct the Bond formula. In doing so, it ultimately feels more formulaic, but the effort is commendable. The train fight is excellent, as is the huge helicopter stunt at the outset, and then I close with a quote, You're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. So long. Yeah, I... It is wild to see how that happens, you know, like with time and with watching this whole series in in hindsight, uh, you end up softening up on them just because it turns out Bond is best when it's trying to futz about with the formula. Um, we, We can all be like, ah, Bond has to be a certain way, Bond has to look a certain way and be... And it's just not necessarily right, you know. I, there's a few characteristics that I think are inherent to Bond. Um, I think that he's he's got to be a pimp, a player. Uh, he's got to always be drunk. He's got to be very, very good at what he does, but not so good that he can't look goofy taking a punch. Um, he's got to have cool gadgets, and he's got to deliver one-liners and, you know, that, that kind of thing. He's just got to be very, very, very good at this job. There's argument as to whether, like, Bond should or shouldn't ever become a woman. I am of the camp that Bond is an inherently male character. I think that there is something inherently male about him. That said, I'm not so precious about it. I mean, if they give us a good Bond, all I ask is that it kicks ass. You know, like, it, the question is, and, and uh, Daniel Craig made a statement in an interview this week where he just said, like, hey, you know, like, I'm not necessarily, I do think Bond should be male, I also think that there should be a character of equal popularity and quality of Bond for women, for actors of color, that is, uh, you know, that's just, that's, that, that's, that can be a new thing, you know, like out with the old and with the new. And I appreciate that. That said, you know, if, if you want to, however you want to tweak Bond, I'm into it. 
Uh, Eon Productions did a movie earlier this year. Was it the Rhythm Section? I think it was called. Um, which is a really excellent movie. In I, I liked it very, very much. Uh, like three and a half stars here. It uh, starred, what is her name? Blake Lively, is it? Yeah. And she plays like a Bond character. And like I could totally see a Stephanie, excuse me, Stephanie Patrick movie. Or something like Atomic Blonde. Lorraine Broughton is fucking ten times cooler than Bond. But like I said, if you bring a Lady Bond out, I'm into it. Uh, so the question is, who would I like to see as James Bond moving forward? Um, I've made my decision. I think that my answer would be Henry Golding. He's English, so he's got the accent. I've seen him play cold-blooded. I've seen him play humorous. I've seen him play pathetic. And I've seen him play, uh, like, uh, like charming. Um, and he excels at all of them. He's a smoke show in a tuxedo. I think he would be a great choice. Um... It's just, yeah, he's, he's like the right guy for the job. I know there was talk of like Henry Cavill. He's too big for me. Uh, and I, I, I do love him. I wish he would just stay Superman. Um, I know there was talk of like Idris Elba, which he'd be good. But he's another one, like, he's like a different type of cool than Bond. But I'm not against it. But once again, I think he is like a little, a little older than it. I, if we're going to do a Bond, I'd like to start young again. I think, uh, uh, Daniel Craig took it at like 38. I think he jumped into the series. So yeah, it, that, that would be cool to see if we were to do a lady bond. Uh, now I have to look her up. What's the actress's name? She's on that show. Luther with Idris Elba. Um, she would be, uh, Oh no, I wrote, I opened the wrong app. What the hell is her name? Just like crazy. Ah, Ruth Wilson. If we were to do a lady bond, Ruth Wilson is my choice. I would love to see that. Um, but yeah, I maybe I do agree with my old self. It might be time to take just a little break from Bond. Um, you know, so that we can do some new stuff. That said, though, keep them coming. I mean, we kind of already had a break. It's been six years since the last one. Um, although this is not a reboot Bond. This is going to be Daniel Craig's final entry. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got to say. We're getting up on a lot of time here, and you're probably bored. Let me pull out my show notes. Um, yeah, I think that's all we're going to do about it. Thank you so much for listening to I Like to Movie Movie. Uh, movie Movie Cast on all of the things. You can check us out on, uh, check me out on uh, Instagram, Twitter. All that stuff, at Movie Movie Cast. I personally am at Dan Scully on all of the things. You can find this all on scullyvision.com, and you can check out this and other podcasts like it uh, as part of the Movie John Podcast Network. Log on to moviejohn.com, check it out. And if you're interested in my comedy podcast, Hot Property, we are at Hot Property Pod on all of the things so once again uh, if you want to check the show notes we're going to put up information if you would like to donate to the howard county autism society uh so definitely do that i have a couple friends that are going to do some fundraisers so i'll be sharing links to that as well so stay tuned and uh until then you know everybody stay good stay safe try to uh keep your head above water and just keep that smile going guys it's been rough for all of us uh, uh lately and uh you know, I think that, that we can get through it together. No no one should do it alone. So if you're feeling uh, any type of way, and, uh, and just reach out. You know, you deserve help. And, and if I can give it, I'd, I'd love to I'd love to do it. So, uh, you know, say hey. 
That's I Like to Movie Movie, and remember, there's something to love about every movie. Yes, even that one.